0: hello and welcome it is eric erickson here the third hour of the program glad to have you with me i hope you're ready for a great weekend the phone number is 877-97-ERIC-877-973-7425 if you want to be on this year program i gotta go back well i'm I'm going to jump back but first i'm going to play you a piece of audio that happened on cnn this morning There is a growing recognition in the media that Joe Biden's having a really bad time of it, really hard time of it. I, I'm actually shocked that he hasn't gotten rid of Ron Klain yet, his chief of staff. So many of his problems uh, are problems at the staff level that have risen to put him in a bad light and caused him to make some, some just nutty decisions. Now, he couldn't help himself in Afghanistan. He owned that one, but my goodness gracious. Uh, but this is how... CNN started uh, its morning news today. President Joe Biden has had a very tough week with setbacks uh, for his agenda, COVID complications and the Supreme Court blocking his vaccine mandate, inflation and international turmoil, just to name a few. CNN's Lauren Fox is joining us live now from Capitol Hill. Lauren, Biden's voting rights bill has been torpedoed and torpedoed by members of his own parties. <laughs> a bit of a chuckle there, by his own party. Yesterday in the White House briefing a reporter talking to Jin Saki listen to this things just seem like they're going pretty poorly right now so for the White House it, you know build back better is being blocked voting rights is being blocked diplomatic talks with Russia doesn't seem to have brought us back from the brink of war inflation's at a 40 year high the virus is setting records for infection so as we kind of hit this one year period and a period where Everything seems like it's in pretty rough shape or nearly everything, um, which is not an invitation, I guess, to list off <laughs> um, some other things. Uh, I, I'm, I'm wondering at what point do you take stock and say that things need to change internally, whether it's your outreach for the Hill, whether it's the leadership within the White House. I, it, you seem to be stymied on an incredible number of fronts right now. And she deflected, by the way. There's no reason to even play her answer because she deflected on it. But notice even the reporter saying, uh, wait a second, when does something in the White House have to give? I have a theory about what's going to happen. Charlie, you probably need to bookmark this moment and put it in the I told you so file for when it happens, because it's going to happen. It is the American press corps, not just the Democrats. The political press, in New York and Washington, leans to the left at CNN, at MSNBC, at NBC, even at CNBC, in the New York Times, in the Washington Post, even parts of the Wall Street Journal, the non-editorial page section of it. At USA Today, they lean to the left. They do. And they, as much as the Democrats, have internalized that Donald Trump and his supporters are a threat to the republic. In 2020, Joe Biden was the great white knight, the great white hope, the savior of America. He and he alone would stop Donald Trump. No one else could. Bernie Sanders couldn't. Kamala Harris couldn't. Elizabeth Warren couldn't. None of the billions of Democrats, including Pete Boot edge edge, could do it. None of them could stop Donald Trump. Only Joe Biden could. And so much of the media narrative of 2020 was, it's got to be Joe Biden. It's got to be Joe Biden. It's got to be Joe Biden. Y'all, it's got to be Joe Biden. He's the only one who could stop this guy. This guy's an existential threat to the republic, to the freedom of the press, to everything. He's got to be stopped. Enormous energy over Donald Trump's four years, really five. When you go back to 2015 and he first decided he was going to run, enormous energy first went into the media to build up Donald Trump and then to tear him down and to impugn his administration. Can you imagine as an aside, if Donald Trump had had the bad week that Joe Biden had had, how the media would cover it? It'd be brutal, far more brutal than the coverage they're giving to Joe Biden's bad week. But if the media internalizes that Joe Biden is doing so badly Donald Trump could come back or a Trump clone, a resurgent GOP in 2022, how long before the media turns on him? How long before the media turns on Joe Biden, some of you will say, well, they never will. They never will. But the media hates Donald Trump more than they like Joe Biden. They will turn on him if they think his existence makes Donald Trump's return more likely. If it gets to the point where the media concludes that he's doing such a bad job that the Republicans are going to be resurgent and they could take back the White House, they are going to turn on Joe Biden. They will. They're already turning on Kamala Harris. The media itself is turning on Kamala Harris. The conversations in the press these days of maybe Joe Biden needs Liz Cheney to be his vice presidential running mate that is a uh, recognition that Kamala Harris is damaged goods and by the way Kamala Harris is damaged goods she had an interview with Craig Melvin from NBC and it was a disaster of an interview the clips have gone viral
1: are we going to uh, to see the same democratic ticket in 2024
2: I'm sorry, we are thinking about today. I mean, honestly, the, I, I, I know why you're asking the question because this is the part of the punditry and the right. the gossip around places like Washington, DC. Let me just tell you something, we're focused on the things in front of us. We're focused on what we need to do to, to address issues like affordable childcare, what we need to do to ensure- So there, there have been that, that, no conversations
1: that, about 2024?
2: Uh, the, the American people sent us here to do a job. And right now, there's a lot of work to be done. And that's my focus, it sounds sincerely. Like
1: you're at least familiar with some of the punditry. I don't know if you've heard that there've been some, there's been some talk about a, a, a Biden-Cheney ticket perhaps in 2024. Did you read that
0: article?
2: I did not. I, I, no, I did not. And I really could care less about the high-class gossip on these issues.
0: The high-class gossip on these issues? She was defensive. Didn't get any better. Listen to this one. At what point does the
1: administration say, you know what, this strategy isn't working, we're gonna change strategies. Six former administration officials last week wrote that open letter urging the administration to change course, to change strategy.
2: Is it time? It is time for us to do what we have been doing and that time is every day. Every day it is time for us to agree that there are things and tools that are available to us to slow this thing down.
0: Wait, so it, it, it's time for us to start doing that thing that we're already doing and we have tools available to slow this thing down. Why aren't you deploying the tools to slow it down, not end it? Notice she didn't say end it. She said, oh, my gosh, these responses, they're brutal. They're painful. They're painful. One more. Vaccinated because it will save their life. At, at what point but, does the administration acknowledge these people
2: aren't going to get the shot? They're just not going to do it. I don't believe in giving up on people, Craig. I really don't.
1: The 500 million tests that have been ordered that are going to be sent to every, every American, do we know when those are going out?
2: Shortly. They're going to go out shortly. Next They've been or- ordered. They've been ordered. we I have to look at the current information. I think it's going to be by next week. But soon. Absolutely soon. And it is a matter of urgency for us.
1: Should we have done that sooner?
2: We are doing it.
1: But should we have done it sooner?
0: We are doing it. Oh, we do it we're doing it. She doesn't want to concede the point. Man, she is. Oh, that was just pain. I was cringing watching that interview. It was just so deeply awkward. It was so awkward. She's so combative. And by the way, these people are on her side. They're on the side of the Biden administration. They do not want Donald Trump to come back. They, they do not want Donald Trump to come back. And, and yet she's, you could tell she was aggravated with the Cheney question. I'm telling you guys, you could just you can mark this down in your calendar. I set it today for when it happens. The media, the American press corps, the political press is going to turn on Joe Biden. They've already turned on Kamala Harris to the extent they are floating rumors that he might pick Liz Cheney or he should pick Liz Cheney. It is not sustainable for the American press corps to continue propping up Joe Biden the way they have when by doing so they make it more likely that Donald Trump could get reelected in the Republican sweep. They have view the Republicans and Donald Trump as an existential threat. Look at the commentary given in the media over January 6th and the run up to it. And even after it, they're still talking about January 6th. The media is scared to death of Donald Trump and the Republicans. They view them as an existential threat to the freedom of the press. They hate their values. They hate them. They're scared of them. They do not want them back. And Joe Biden is doing so poorly. It makes a Republican wave inevitable in November. Unless they can do something. And if he keeps it up, if things don't turn, it makes it more likely you get a Ron DeSantis or you get a Nikki Haley or you get a Josh Hawley or a Tom Cotton or you get Donald Trump himself or Mike Pence. And they're going to have to stop him. But to stop him, they're going to have to stop Joe Biden because the incumbent president tends to, through the nature of incumbency, get the nomination of his party and get on the reelection ticket, whether he wins or not. And they're going to have to stop his nomination. The media is going to turn on Joe Biden. They have turned on Kamala Harris. They do not like Kamala Harris. They can't stand the woman. There's actually a report out in the Washington Post that she is trying to rebuild, regroup, rebuild, and rebrand to make herself more likable. There was a poll out of the state of Maryland where Joe Biden is, his popularity is at like 49%. Larry Hogan, the governor of the state, is at 52% popularity in a Democratic state. He's a Republican. He would walk into the United States Senate if he ran for office. Joe Biden is at 49 48%. Kamala Harris, she's at 45%. She's not popular anywhere. They're going to turn on her. They already have. They'll turn on Joe Biden if they think that him sticking around helps Trump. You mark my words. And this is a problem the White House is going to have to deal with. Once a Democrat loses the media, it's very hard to get them back. And the problem for Biden and his team is that they've already lost the public. They lost the public because of Afghanistan, as I mentioned yesterday. There's going to be no getting them back. Except here's the silver lining for the Democrats. They need the Republicans to take back Congress in November Democrats actually need the Republicans to be in charge of Congress right now. Reason? They need a bad guy. It's very hard to run against a villain when you control everything. The American public, they kind of understand the filibuster, but I had a caller earlier who needed me to explain the filibuster to him. And the bulk of the public is kind of in the same boat. They kind of get it, but also the Democrats do control the House and the Senate. And the media conversation is the Democrats can get rid of the filibuster, except they can't because of Democrats. So they can't get anything done because of Democrats, not because of Republicans. So they need the Republicans to be in charge because they need a villain for Joe Biden. That's something that helped Barack Obama in 2011 and in his reelection in 2012. Remember, Barack Obama was down into the 40s, low 40s in popularity after 2010. And then you had the Republicans in charge of the House, and it gave him some villain to run against. And you had Mitt Romney run for president. It gave him a villain to run against it worked for him. The only thing that could really help Joe Biden for 2024, if he wants to run again, and I'm still not sure he does, but he needs a villain to run against, and you can't make the Republicans villains when it's the Democrats who control everything in Washington. Howdy, it is Eric Erickson. Glad to have you with me. The phone number, if you want to be on the program, 877-97-ERIC-877-973-7425. Buddy of mine, friend from Instagram, Drew, texted me this morning. Occasionally, I make friends with people on the internet. Instagram is my preferred place because you can actually see whether someone's crazy or not. And yeah, he may be a little bit. He's actually a great guy. Um, owns a owns a training facility and gym up in North Carolina. He texted me this morning. And he said, "Can you explain why we're still having all these labor shortages in the country uh, now that all the COVID benefits have expired? Why, what's going on?" I've actually been digging into this because I've had the same question. And I want to explain to you uh, what apparently is going on here. There are several factors at play here. It's a little more complicated than the talking points out there. One of the things that's happened is a lot of people retired. They dropped out of the workforce. They're no longer in the workforce. Uh, So there's a workforce reduction. They just retired. They they said, "To heck with this, I'm done. And so those people are out of the workforce. Another group of people, particularly older workers, are scared to get back into the workforce because of COVID. And so they're not coming back in. Some of them have dropped out as well. So that's another pool of people who could be in the workforce who are just like, to heck with this, I'm done. And they're out of the workforce. The most interesting group of people and the greatest amount of data out there is on the next group moms, a vast array across races of mothers decided having gone through homeschool with their kids and Zoom classes and seeing what it was like for their kids, realized that their families could make it work financially, might be more of a struggle, definitely would be more of a struggle losing in some income, but they could stay home with their kids and it would benefit their families to do so. And they never would have, except they got to experience home life again, being home with their kids all day during the pandemic. And they realized, you know what? I can do this. And they dropped out of the workforce. I'm fascinated by that phenomenon. That will pay long-term dividends for society, by the way. Another group of people out there decided that uh, they can do side hustles and gigs and they can live on reduced income and they got out of the workforce and they do Uber, they do DoorDash, they do Instant Cart and they get to work on their schedule. They have that flexibility. They're more struggling. They've got reduced income. They've got savings. They may come back into the workforce. And then there's the last group of people who have never left the workforce. But because so many of those other people left the workforce, there are jobs aplenty out there. And these people who were flipping burgers at McDonald's are now working for Fortune 500 companies. They, they couldn't get into major companies. They were in hospitality. They were in retail. They were working in hotels. And they've upgraded their jobs. So the forward-facing, consumer-facing industries in America are the ones that really are the ones that you experience the shortages, the people waiting tables, the cooks, the sous chefs, the line cooks, the, the people washing the dishes, the people flipping the burgers at McDonald's, the people running the drive through the cashiers at the grocery store, they got better jobs. They were able to upgrade. And so it's left behind shortages in those locations. So as, as shortages at higher level work have filled up with these workers, their positions are now open and there aren't people to come to them uh and we probably will fill those up eventually with people in high school this is a great time if you're a high schooler if you're in high school and you want a job in the private sector now is your time to get out there i was talking to someone the other day uh, who manages a chick-fil-a and said it's starting to dawn on a lot of the parents in his area with kids that uh, there are jobs available at chick-fil-a's and they're getting an influx of, of high school kids uh, and they're having a real difficulty managing them because they can't work through the middle of the day uh, at school. They got to have time to get there and things like that. And, and it's been hard for them to manage because they pack them in. But on the weekends, it helps if the kids have the work ethic to get up and get to Chick-fil-A. But that's why we're in a job shortage situation right now, even though we've got massively low unemployment. But remember, unemployment is 3.9% because you don't count people as unemployed if they've dropped out of the workforce and have given up looking for jobs. That's why unemployment is so low right now. And there are a lot of people out of the workforce. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson. Glad to have you with me here. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I got to admit something. And so I've hesitated. I've gone back and forth on this. And... I, I know how it could be portrayed by people who well they they've got nursed some grudge against me, competitive rivalry, some such. Uh, but I, I gotta I decided I need to in the interest of of well just entertainment if nothing else because it's really funny. I want to acknowledge something. I kind of, kind of, minimally. Feel a little sorry for Chuck Schumer? Feel some sympathy for him? I mean, I I pity the guy. I pity Chuck Schumer. Let's just play this out. So for years, for 10 years, Harry Reid served as the minority leader or majority leader for the Democrats in the Senate. He was the ranking Democrat in the Senate for a decade, from 2005 until his departure in, what, 2016, 2017? It was, it was fascinating. Uh, and he got in because of Tom Daschle. And Chuck Schumer had to wait in the wings. Had to, had to, had to, had to wait. Harry Reid stays in the Senate long enough to become the longest-serving senator from Nevada. They changed the airport name in Las Vegas So Las Vegas's airport used to be McCarran International Airport, and McCarran was apparently a bad dude. The Republicans hated him and the Democrats hated him, but he'd had a lot of power. And in in the cancel culture moment and in the history of of people who were bad and, and we should change their names, the Republicans and the Democrats alike in Nevada seized on the opportunity to change the name of McCarran International Airport to Harry Reid International Airport. So when you fly into Las Vegas now, you're flying into the Harry Reid Airport. Nobody's flying into a Chuckie Schumer airport. You got a Chuckie Cheese out there. And that might be named after Chuck Schumer, but eh, it's not the same. So Chuck Schumer finally, finally, finally in 2017 becomes the leader of the Democrats in the Senate. And what's he left with? Thanks to Harry Reid, no filibuster for judges. Harry Reid got rid of the filibuster for judges. Now, a little perspective on this so you understand. There had never, ever been in the history of our republic a court of appeals appointee, a court of appeals nominee by president who had ever been blocked by a filibuster until George W. Bush nominated Miguel Estrada to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. Miguel Estrada, was Hispanic. And Dick Durbin, the senator from Illinois, said, and I, this is almost a direct quote, there's no way in hell we can let Bush put a Hispanic on the D.C. Circuit. Why? Because the D.C. Circuit is where you go to the Supreme Court. John Roberts, Brett Kavanaugh, I think Breyer, I mean, heck, even Merrick Garland. They all were on the D.C. Circuit. I think Rehnquist was. Uh, before he became chief justice of the Supreme Court, uh, Clarence Thomas was. Uh, the D.C. Circuit is the the second most powerful court in the land, essentially. So there was no way they were Durbin was letting Bush put a Hispanic on the on that court, and the Democrats filibustered Miguel Estrada. It was the first time there had ever been a filibuster to stop a Court of Appeals nominee. And so, what do Republicans start doing when Obama became president? They said, "Well, by God, we're going to start filibustering all years. as payback," and it escalated. So Harry Reid gutted the filibuster, and he claimed, well, we're only gutting it for lower courts, not the Supreme Court. McConnell finished off the job. In 2017, Chuck Schumer becomes the leader of the Democrats. Harry Reid has gutted the filibuster for all presidential nominees except the Supreme Court. And... Donald Trump appoints Neil Gorsuch, nominates Neil Gorsuch to the United States Supreme Court. And the smart thing for the Democrats to do would have been to let Gorsuch on the court. All Neil Gorsuch was doing was replacing Antonin Scalia. So you're trading a conservative for a conservative. It would have de-escalated the situation and those moderate Republicans like Murkowski and Collins and John McCain and the like would have appreciated the reasonableness of the Democrats, even trade, a conservative for a conservative. But the Democrats were livid over McConnell, refusing to give a hearing to Merrick Garland. They refused to be reasonable. And Schumer could not talk them down. And the result is the final explosion or implosion of the filibuster for judicial nominees altogether. Schumer could have preserved the Supreme Court filibuster. And it would have given the Democrats leverage to say Brad Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett were too extreme to be on the court, but they gave it all away. So after watching Gorsuch and Kavanaugh and Barrett and all the other judicial picks get piled into the courts, there's an election. And the Senate is left hanging in a balance and Chuck Schumer turns 70 years old. And it takes him until January 5th of 2021 to become the majority leader of the United States Senate. He has to wait until after Congress is even uh, sworn in in the new term to shift the Senate majority his direction. And what does he get? He gets to be majority leader, but only because the idiot Kabla Harris is the vice president of the United States and can break a tie. He only has 50 senators. That's it. But he's the majority leader. He has coveted it with Gollum-esque zeal. He kind of looks like Gollum. He's coveted it for so long. He wanted that ring of power. Now he's got it. He doesn't know what to do with it. He's got the problem. Harry uh, Chuck Schumer cannot govern as a Senate majority leader with 50 votes. He can't manage the Senate as he should. A, a, you know, Tom Daschle, and I guess it was Trent Lott at the time, then McConnell, uh, when the Republicans and Democrats had a 50-50 Senate back in the early days of the Bush administration, and then a 51-49 Senate when what Jeffers of Vermont switched to be a Democrat— The Republicans, and the Democrats managed it as if it was a 50-50 Senate. They knew that Tom Daschle knew he could not manage the Senate and embolden the progressives or else they were finished. And by the way, when they got to 51 votes and started governing that way, they were finished. In 2002, the Republicans took back the Senate from them. And Daschle wound up losing ultimately. But Chuck Schumer can't do that. I think he wants to. I think he knows he has to do that. Remember, Chuck Schumer is the man in 2016. When asked why the Democrats were going to lose or did lose, did not say Russia stole the election. He said it was because we did not have a big, bold economic agenda. Guess what? They're on the verge of losing right now because they don't have a big, bold economic agenda. You know why? Because the progressives are demanding that the Democrats in the Senate advance the John Lewis Voting Rights Act and the For the People Act, the two progressive takeovers of elections in this country. Chuck Schumer knows they can't break the filibuster. Chuck Schumer knows he shouldn't manage the Senate like this. But Chuck Schumer, having only just become majority leader, is up for re-election. And where is he up for re-election? New York. Who else is an elected official in New York? Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. The squad. So Schumer can't manage the Senate in a more moderate tone with a 50-50 divide and try to do some bipartisanship because he's got the squad breathing down his neck. He doesn't want to risk a primary, even if it's a primary where he's going to win. And he probably would. I don't think AOC could beat him statewide. But even so, if this was a primary, you know what would happen? Massive amounts of money would pour into that race. Money better spent in Pennsylvania, in Georgia, in Arizona, in Ohio, in Wisconsin, in Michigan, States that will shift the balance of the United States Senate one way or the other. He can't afford to have that money poured into New York City for him or for her. He's got to have it go elsewhere because he's got to shape the field for the Democrats to get the best possible nominees to ensure he holds on to the Senate. Because the odds are against him now with Biden's unpopularity. So he can't manage this in it the way he should manage this in it. He's got to manage it as a rabid progressive. He's got to, remember, we're in postmodernism. It's the kabuki theater that matters, not the results. Performance, not results. He's got to perform the song and dance to placate the progressives, even if he loses. He's got to perform for the progressives. Otherwise, they're going to primary him, and money's going to pour into New York that's better spent elsewhere. And the irony here is that because he must manage the Senate as a progressive, and he is progressive, don't get me wrong, don't mishear me, he is, he just knows in a 50-50 Senate you can't manage as a progressive and be successful. But he's got to because otherwise he's going to lose his seat. So he's in this damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. He's going to lose being majority leader that he has coveted like Gollum, coveting the ring, because he can't manage the Senate the way he needs to. It is hilarious. He he's like the dog that finally caught the car. I I have I feel I mean I just feel bad for the guy. He's wanted it for so long. He finally gets it. And now he's gonna lose it because he can't manage it the way he knows. He's a sharp politician, he's a smart guy, he knows he can't manage the Senate the way he's managing it, but he also knows he can't do otherwise. Reese toast. It is hilarious, it is ironic. I chuckle about it, but by God, I feel I just pity the man. I do. I I really do. I it's it's one of those Greek tragedies playing out on the stage. Poor old Chucky Schumer. All and all, the only thing that's going to be named after him is a bunch of pizza restaurants, and they're going to use him in the form of a rat as the mascot. While Harry Reid gets McCarran International Airport changed after him to Harry Reid Airport. My goodness. Now, I want to go to a phone call before I go to anything else. Kerry, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the program.
1: Thanks, Eric. Appreciate you taking my call. Uh, just take a moment and say how much I enjoy listening to this program when I get a chance.
0: Thank you.
1: Uh, I- I'm out of school today. I'm a school teacher, but I had to take the day off today, and uh, it gives me a rare opportunity to listen. Most of the time, I don't get the chance. Well, um, I actually wanted to comment on something that relates back to a program that I was able to hear a few weeks back, but ironically, it kind of connects to what you were just talking about about seeing elections through a historical perspective. Um, it's about the situation with what we're looking at here in Georgia with uh, the primary between Brian uh, Kemp and David Perdue. Um, it seems ironic to me that the Republican Party hasn't paid attention to its own history. Of course, most people don't, unfortunately, uh, because I'm seeing echoes of the presidential election of 1912 uh, with Teddy Roosevelt and William Howard Taft.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, the, the, the unfortunate part of that parallel, uh, worker Wilson, the Democrat, wound up winning in 1912 and having a thoughtful, intelligent guy like Wilson in the White House during World War One wound up not being such a bad deal. I'm afraid the same parallel doesn't hold true for the Democrat candidate in in this field. Um, that scares me a little bit. Yeah, uh, listen, I, so. I
0: I gotta tell you, Kerry. I think that uh, the Purdue run is a really really bad idea here. And I know there are a handful oh, of Republicans agree. who disappear. But you know, this disagree. This, this is crazy. I don't in the real world outside of a hardcore band of rabid Trump supporters. I don't know anyone who thinks, hmm, I sure am glad David Perdue is challenging Brian Kemp. I, I Those people, I'm sure they exist, but I can't find them. Yeah,
1: my my only concern in looking at the general election is that I, I agree with you. I don't think Perdue is actually going to be able to win enough votes to, to unseat Kemp in the Republican primary. My concern is that those who are... Those who lose out in the primary are going to sit home in the general election rather than voting for the other guy.
0: Yep. It's a real concern.
1: And it winds up costing us the general election.
0: I agree completely. Uh, that, that is my big fear. And I think it is very likely something like that could happen. Um, if these people, and, and they appear to be sore, I mean, they're running Purdue because they're sore losers. And so when you got sore losers running Purdue, uh, and he loses the sore losers, stay home and give you Stacey Abrams. And they say, well, if I can't get my guy, well, I'm going to put Stacey Abrams on charge of this. These are the, the rationale of the people we're dealing with. They would rather Stacey Abrams win than Brian Kemp win because they're sore losers. And uh, we're all going to have hell to pay if that's the case in Georgia. Uh, it's it's unfortunate, uh, and you know your parallel between Wilson and and Roosevelt and Taft. You got to remember, uh, Roosevelt stepped aside. The Republicans nominate Taft. Roosevelt. Wait, wait, wait. I think I still want to be the president, so he runs as a progressive, and his supporters they cost Taft the election. And Woodrow Wilson gets elected and runs us through World War One as a deeply, deeply partisan progressive. Um, yeah, it's it's it, I don't know anyone in the real world who thinks that it's a good idea for Purdue to do what he's doing, except for the rabid fringe. And they could cost us everything and give us Stacey Abrams. Let's clear the air some here. Let's talk about the Eden Pure Thunderstorm. It does clear the air without a filter, no less. Uh, you can wipe it out on occasion, but you don't need a subscription for filters. It just works. It's handheld, it's portable, and I can give you three of them. Well, I'm not going to give them. You can buy them three of them one for your upstairs, one for your downstairs, one for your basement. Take one, put it in your car. I use it when I travel because you never know with rental cars these days. Sometimes they really stink, and it eliminates odors, the Eden Pure does. You can get the Eden Pure Thunderstorm by going to EdenPureDeals.com. EdenPureDeals.com and you click on my name, Eric Erickson. You click on the Eden Pure Thunderstorm 3 pack. You put it in your cart. At checkout, there's a discount code box and you'll see it and you click uh, click on it. You put in Eric 3, E-R-I-C-K and the number 3. No space. Not the word 3. The number 3. Eric 3. Click apply and miracle of miracles. Behold! You'll see the price goes down by $200 to less than $200 and you get free shipping. So great deal on these three Eden Pure Thunderstorms. So Edenpuredeals.com, click on Eric Erickson, put them in your card at checkout, use the discount code Eric3, Edenpuredeals.com. We're almost out of time. How about that? Y'all, I'm I gotta tell you again, uh, weather east of the Mississippi is gonna be bad all over, uh, particularly above I-20. There are ice storms even down here in Georgia. Uh, ice storms, we canceled a trip to the North Georgia mountains because they're expecting a pile of ice and snow. And it's one thing if you get snow, but the ice on the ground, I got a four-wheel drive, but I don't have snow tires. And I'm not an expert or very comfortable driving in it. And it's just too risky for us. So stay safe out there the way the weather is going because, ooh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be something. Uh, now, you know... George Soros, you're not allowed to talk about this. You're apparently an anti-Semite if you do, uh, if you mention George Soros. But one of the things Soros has done over the last few years is he's backed a bunch of highly progressive district attorneys around the country, and they have caused the crime wave by being hyper soft on crime. Baltimore is one of those. Uh, Marilyn Mosby, she's a George Soros-backed district attorney. She's been indicted by a federal grand jury on four felonies related to her purchase of a home in Florida. Another one of those Democrats who wants to buy property in Florida, a hypocrite no less, and uh, she's one of Soros's people. This is going to be one of the fights of our times as George Soros and his friends pour money into local races around the country, trying to get hyper-progressive people elected in school boards and district attorneys and the like. you got to pay attention to this stuff and stay involved. You guys have a great weekend. And you thought these last two years were crazy. Welcome to 2022. It's coming up and nothing makes sense still, especially in business. If you're a small business owner, good luck getting financing from a big bank right now. I can offer you a fantastic solution. If you're looking for $750,000 or more in financing for your business,